0: Part of this is to equip us for this time. We feel like this is a Daniel time, that what you're doing in places of work and in your churches is incredibly significant. And these tools that we're going to talk about, we feel like is going to have a huge team of impact. But the second part of that is, please don't disqualify yourself. And for someone who struggles with imposter syndrome, um, not formally diagnosed, but, but uh, my armchair psychology has diagnosed myself with that, is that it's so easy to, to discount yourself and say, oh, but not me, but remember what Steve Barr said, that you are the gift. And the more of the tools the that, that you utilize, your gift can shine and magnify for the glory of the King. And uh, the third thing is, I feel like we are moving into a very significant time. And so this, even more so than this past season, um, we've heard that from Tyre and, and others. And as we go into the time of shaking, that that's when great harvests right? are Great revivals, great salvations, and things like that. So um, we're going to keep it really practical, but uh, thank you so
1: much for joining us. <laughs> this part because I'm old school and I can't use electronic devices because I'm okay, That's I so I So I don't know if any of you are like me and you feel like you've grown up in a culture where people in the workplace who are Christians have a very specific view of what it looks like to be a successful Christian who is in the workplace. And you might find yourself caught between the tension of my value and my role as someone who is a Christian in a secular workplace or in whatever kind of workplace you find yourself in is based fully on the fact that I am tied into my local church. And that's where my value lies in the kingdom. Or my value lies in the fact that I serve a role in the church, like I'm an elder or a deacon or a life group leader, and how I function on a Sunday is where I manifest my Christianness. That's where it is. So that's one aspect. Or perhaps you've been told that your value as a Christian in the workplace comes from how many salvations you're seeing in your workplace. You're out there in the world and the expectation is on you to be preaching the gospel and seeing people say it. And if you've not seen people saved, if you have no harvest, then you're of no use to me. So maybe you find yourself, like me, stuck between those two tensions and almost feeling like you're failing in both. You're not necessarily seeing salvation from the workplace, or you're not functioning in the local church in a specific role, or you're not timing, or whatever it is, you just feel like you're not doing either really well. But the reality is, and this has come through so many times during this equipped already. Is that our value and identity lie in being a son and daughter of the king and being part of the kingdom? It's not for the thing, our value does not lie in the things that we do for the king and his kingdom. And the reality is, not everyone is called to be an elder or a deacon, or not everybody is a multi millionaire and can tie millions of dollars to a church. Our roles are all different. And I think sometimes the culture that we live in elevates the harvester over the sower. And let me explain what what I mean by that. So I watched a farming show a while ago and there was this one phrase that said, well-sown is half-grown. So if we aren't sowing seeds and God is growing those seeds into a harvest, there can be no harvest, there can be no reaping. And sometimes we're so focused on The success of reaping a harvest that we don't realize that that has come from years and years of sowing by people and so we need to remind ourselves that when we sow we are as important as the people who reap and maybe you don't see a salvation in your workplace but you're sowing seeds and you're sowing seeds faithfully day in and day out and at the right time god will cause a harvest but that wouldn't be there if you weren't there to sow those seeds So there's only one true king, and there's only one kingdom. If there's anything that's come through during this equip is that the kingdom of God is what it's about. It's not about our churches, it's not about our personal ministries, it's not about anything else. It's about the gospel and the kingdom of God. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I can feel that God is so close and so present on a Sunday, and come Monday morning at 8 a.m. I walk into my workplace and it's like he's gone. He's gone into hibernation until Sunday morning again. And that somehow it feels like there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God that is advancing on a Sunday or through church meetings. And then there's this other kingdom that's kind of there Monday through Friday. And every now and then maybe you'll catch a glimpse.
2: But the reality
1: is there's only one kingdom. And everything we do serves to advance that one kingdom. If we remind ourselves who the king is. And how we can submit ourselves to the authority of that king. So God isn't not there Monday through Friday. We're just not looking for him, we're not partnering with him, and we're not asking for more of him Monday through Friday. Just like we are on a Sunday when we come expectant and seeing, looking for him to move. And let's be honest, it can be really scary being a Christian out in the workplace these days. I think we live in a world that, is, that just loves to label things. As much as they say labels are bad, we shouldn't label things, they actually that is, let's be honest. And Christians come with labels, they come with stigma, good and bad, about what, what your belief system is all of a sudden by the tag that you're a Christian. And sometimes it can feel easier and it can feel just more comfortable to shrink back and not let that side of your life be shown. Because if you do, then there is that fear that will you be judged for who you are or will they ascribe an entire belief to you that's not accurate? And I think there is something on the world wanting us to shrink back, because when we are our true selves, we actually reflect Jesus, and the world doesn't want us to reflect Jesus. So there is courage that is needed being in the workplace as people who are kingdom citizens. And the reality is, wherever there are human beings on this earth, that is where the kingdom needs to come. It doesn't need to come just on Sundays, or just on holidays, or only in hospitals where there are sick people. Wherever there are human beings, there is a mandate for us as believers to bring the kingdom in that place. And there is not only a mandate, there is also an equipping for us to do that. And I think we have to remind ourselves of that that we're not alone doing that. So how do we bring the kingdom? It's pretty simple, in theory, and also in an application, who knew? But it's, it's simple in that it's knowing the king and submitting to his rule. That's what it means to be a kingdom citizen. And how do we do this? First of all, you know the king by spending time with the king. Then you know the king by knowing his laws and his truth. And most importantly, you apply those laws and truth. And then you partner with the king in everything that you do. So we're just going to quickly run through those three things super fast. How do we know the king? We know the king by spending time with him. And this is something I've been completely convicted of, and I think Josiah actually mentioned this, that analogy of being a sponge, right? Like when you're a sponge and you're saturated with liquid, you're saturated with any liquid. When you're squeezed, what comes out? The liquid that you're saturated with. So if we're saturated with Jesus, and we're saturated with his word, in those times of pressure, in those times when we're squeezed at the workplace, what will come out of us is Jesus. But if we saturate with the world, what's going to come out of us is the world. And, you know, I'm so used to praying for a prayer meeting or praying before a church meeting because we want to hear God and we want to be able to minister. But I realized that I don't pray for work meetings. I don't pray before I step into my clinic in the morning and ask God to be with me as I'm doing what I'm doing. And it almost feels like what I'm doing at the workplace is somehow less holy and less important, so he doesn't want to be there. And I think that's something that we've put on God. But actually, he is as passionate about those people that we meet in our workplace as he is in the people that we have on a Sunday in our churches. And he wants to speak into their lives as much as he wants to speak into the lives of those people that we minister to. Small groups and Bible study, are we part of them? Are we part of some kind of group of believers where we can learn and grow in the knowledge of Jesus together? Not just from a sermon on Sunday, but actually doing life together. That's a great way of knowing him more. And then knowing his truth. So I don't know if this is a recent trend or we've been around a while, but everyone has their truth, right? Everyone says, speak your truth and live your truth, and everyone has a version of truth that seems to align with their lifestyle but there's actually only one truth. And there's only one bringer of that truth. And there is only one truth by which we are all going to be judged at the end of time. And so in order to know that truth, we actually have to study it. And Jesus is the manifestation of that truth, but his word is what grounds us. And it's not us living out our reaction to the culture, or living out our opinions about the culture. It should be us living out our truth and knowledge of the Word of God. In um, so I think there's sometimes we feel that Bible study is only for those that preach on a Sunday and that their job is to mine the deep t- tr- truths of Scripture and present it to us in a way that we can digest and then make it ours. But actually, if we want to live out the truth, we need to make it our own and we need to be in the Word and we need to be saturated with the word and with Jesus. Yep. Now I had a, a week at work where it was just horrible. It's like the, oh, just the things that humans do to each other it was just weighing on me. And I went through all my usual techniques of to like relieve stress, I went for a ride, and ate a bucket of ice cream and like, I watched you know, really bad TV for long periods of time. And I just couldn't shake this feeling like I had waded through mud and the mud was still clinging to me. And I just couldn't get rid of it. And then, eventually, I found myself in the Word of God, and John 17 is that scripture with, John, with was it, um, James references about Jesus praying for his disciples. And he prays for them as he sends them out into the world, like we are sent out into the world. And in verse 15 to 19, there's this one part where he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. That idea of being sanctified by his word of truth, that's what got the mind off me. Because the world will cling to us, and the only way we can get the world off us is to get Jesus in us. And that really just reinforced that idea of I need to be in the word. Um, And I honestly think just around this idea of God's word is that... One of the biggest lies that the enemy brings is that the word of God is irrelevant and not applicable to us anymore. That it's something archaic that was followed once long ago, but doesn't really have much role for us here and now. And I couldn't get further from the truth. There is application for us in the here and now in the word of God, relevant truth to us. And if we just look in there, we'll find it. Scripture tells us that if you want wisdom, ask. And he'll give it to you. And there's wisdom in his word. And I realized that when I've had a hard day at work or I'm facing a situation where I'm just like, I don't know what to do. Where do I go first? I either talk to Matt and I complain to him endlessly, and he's like, oh. <laughs> or I ask another colleague, or I speak to a friend. But how many times do I actually go to God? Believing that he has the answer. Believing that his word holds the key to that situation. So if we let workplace wisdom come from the world, from the world, then we're operating under a heavenly, under a worldly kingdom. But when we operate with a heavenly wisdom, we're manifesting the kingdom of God in our workplace. How do you deal with your boss, your co-worker, your client, James 3, 16, for where jealous and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. That's pretty much every workplace, right? Jealousy and selfish ambition. But the wisdom from above is at first pure, and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's just one scripture. teaches us how we are to interact with other people in our workplace. And there's so much more in there, if we would just put the dog first. So how do we bring the kingdom in our workplace? It's not just preaching the gospel. And yes, we are called to preach the gospel and know the hope that we cling to, the hope that we profess. But when we look at the word and it gives us how to live, when we walk away from gossip, we're manifesting the kingdom. When we refuse to partake in sin when you refuse to be Friday night drinks with co-workers when you refuse to get drunk when everyone else is getting drunk, you're bringing the kingdom. You're sowing seeds of righteousness in that, in that place. When you show genuine love and concern for others, not because of what they've done for you, but because you see the fact that God created them in his image, you're sowing seeds of the kingdom. When you're putting your, your needs secondary to the needs of others, you're sowing so Seeds of certain hearted leadership. You are manifesting the kingdom where you are in your workplace every single day. Don't discount the value of that. It is so vital. And thirdly, how do we manifest the kingdom? Is by partnering with the Holy Spirit. And honestly, it's so easy to say that the Holy Spirit functions only here when someone is standing up on the stage giving a prophetic word. But actually the Holy Spirit is constantly our helper. He doesn't just arrive when we arrive at church on a Sunday. He is with us all the time. And He is the empowerment to do what the Word of God tells us to do. Because without Him, we're useless. And there have been so many times where I've faced situations at work where I haven't known what to do. Where the physical, I've just been completely unprepared. I remember a situation where I had a patient who was raped and um, she came into the clinic and she didn't want to go to the police and she didn't want to go to the hospital and I needed to do a rape exam. And I'm not a gynecologist. I haven't done this at all. Um, I'm completely, completely in the natural, not equipped for this at all, So what did I do? I ran away to the bathroom <laughs> and I locked the door and I was like, Jesus, Please help me." And in that moment, before my eyes, I could almost see from, so back in 2005, I'm dating myself, we did uh, forensic medicine and we had one lecture in med school on how to do a rape exam. And that was 16 years ago. And every single aspect of that lecture came to my mind as though I was sitting in that class. Something I hadn't thought of in 16 years. And all of a sudden, that just came to mind. And so I went in that room and did the whole exam as though I had just been taught it like two minutes ago. And at the end of it, the case managers who were with the patient hugged me. And they said, that's incredible. I've never seen someone be able to do that in that way. And it was nothing I did. It was nothing of me. It was just God giving me what I needed in the moment to do the task again. And I think for so many of us, if we're expected for that, he'll do it. Yeah. We're just not asking for it. Because he wants to do it for us and help us in that way. Uh, Matt's going to go into more about the prophetic at work, etc. So I'm going to steal his thunder. So, again, it's one kingdom. There isn't a the kingdom of the full-time ministry guy, and there isn't a the kingdom of the full-time workplace guy. One kingdom. And we <coughs> need each other in that kingdom. So the importance of the local church is not minimized by the fact that we feel that our mission field is maybe not, we don't spend, you know, whatever, 40 hours of the week in a church space, we spend our 40 hours of the week out there, and so this is kind of secondary and an optional add-on. That's not how it works. We desperately, desperately need each other because we're both kingdom partners. So just a couple questions to ask yourself to see, are you actually partnering with the local church in the way that God intended? because we're all on mission together, and soldiers, as people on mission, need to be hanging out together and encouraging each other. Are you seeking perspective from your leaders on career changes or moves? If it's one kingdom, then there's one kingdom purpose, and their perspective is valuable. Do you have accountable relationships with other believers in your local church? Are you fully known now, before something happens, so that you can preempt something happening.
2: Because once something's happened that's bad, you
1: go to people and they're like, we don't really know you, right? we can't speak into it because we don't know you. And I think Matt has a great
0: testimony of, of that happening. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, a few years ago, I was in a situation where um, there was a, a really challenging situation work, where there was a co-worker who was being uh, inappropriate and environment, and she was being very flirtatious and things of that nature, and I, I was praying about it, and, you know, your first reaction is to kind of just try to, like, battle it out on your own, and um, I told Sheila about it, I prayed about it before God say you know, like, obviously told Sheila about it, and then she um, was praying for me and, and with me and things like that, but then I started opening up to people at the church, both in uh, full-time ministry, but uh, also not, like, in the body of believers, and. Um, it was so encouraging to me and such a source of strength for people to be praying for me and helping me, guiding me through that, and we saw God break through in that area. a protecting me uh, uh, from obviously doing anything, anything stupid, uh, but then also from being falsely accused or anything of that nature and guiding the situation to a, a resolution, uh, which was completely god
1: nothing that I was planning or trying to manipulate or anything of that nature. <laughs> So we need each other because it's a tough world out there, and we can't do it alone. So we need brothers and sisters standing with us. And then this sounds like a simple one, but are you coming to church regularly? Not just when you feel like you have a gap, not just when you feel like your week has been light, but are you coming every Sunday? And can I say that I, I fully acknowledge the price that is paid by people who are in the workplace Monday for Friday to come to church and come to life groups? Trust me. Come Friday evening at 5 o'clock, my brain shuts down. I want to be in my pajamas, on the sofa, and I want no human being to talk to me. And And so, in that place where you've had a long week to then be like, okay great, let's go to a life group meeting, you know, or Sundays when you look at all those people heading off to brunch at 10 o'clock on a Sunday, and you're here at 8.30 setting stuff out. there's a little bit of resentment that sometimes holds up. But there is a price. And you know, we look at people who plant churches and we talk about the fact that they paid a price to plant that church and we're like, that's incredible. They paid a price for the kingdom to plant that church. We need to realize that the price we pay for our comfort is also for the kingdom. And it's also a price that we pay. But just like they're willing to pay a price to plant a church, we need to be willing to pay a price to be part of the body of believers and not forsaking it together. And I just felt, for those of you with kids, It's extra hard (laughs) because dragging them anywhere when they've had four weeks and you've had four weeks and you feel like you haven't seen your kid all weekend and you're like, but I'm giving up family time for this. Can I tell you, your kids need it even more than you do. The world our kids are growing up in, they need to be among other believers. They need to be equipped to fight battles that are coming their way. They need to know that there are other brothers and sisters in Christ who think the same as them, who feel the same as them, and they need to be among them. Yes, it's a price, but it's a kingdom price so that they can be affected in the kingdom and run with it too. Sorry, I'm taking a long time, so I'm going to run fast. Um, and then, are you going to church meetings, small group meetings, all of those things out of obligation to your lead elder, or are you going because you recognize the kingdom impact of going? Because I can tell you, your elders are humans. They are at some point going to disappoint you. And if you're going to please one of them for going for obligation, when they disappoint you, and I say when, because they will, because they're humans, then are you going to stop by? The motivation always has to be for the king and his kingdom. Those of you who are leaders here um, of churches or lead elders, maybe I can ask you these questions. In terms of how do you engage the people in the workplace in your local church? Are you teaching people how to live or are you teaching them just how to minister on a Sunday? Are you teaching them how to live outside these walls? Elders. Have you perhaps reduced your view of marketplace people as tithers, or do you view them as full kingdom partners? Are your church rhythms sustainable for people in the workplace? Are people in the workplace surviving into church, or are they thriving into church? We need to understand that the Sabbath is a biblical concept, and it's for everybody. It's not just for those in full-time ministry. So are your rhythms in your church allowing for workplace people to have a Sabbath? And we made a decision a while ago that we're gonna try and prioritize not doing anything on a Saturday. And I know sometimes that's really hard because that's the one day where everyone can make it to so like a church meeting or like whatever it is. But it's also the one day that workplace people can rest. So are you having multiple meetings every week that they have to run to and then get burnt out? Or are you creating rhythms where your workplace people can thrive just like you thrive? And again, it's not pandering to workplace people, it's allowing people to be healthy. So I'll end with this from my my standpoint. But we all know that scripture in 1 Peter 2, and it talks about how we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Makes us feel warm and fuzzy, right? And we know that that's who we are. And that's true, that is who we are. But when you go further down, There's a challenge and a command of that. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Who we are is not just for us to feel warm and fuzzy inside, it's for us to demonstrate the kingdom of God to every single person.
0: Marketplace and then full-time industry, That there really is no barrier. There's only really one kingdom, and nowhere in the kingdom does it say that um, this is the business person and this is the, the kingdom person or whatever. And an example of that is when you look at Abraham. Um, at the time, he would be considered like the CEO of a large farm farming operation. Is that they didn't look at him as the father of nations because they were nations at that point. You know, he was a successful business person. But now we look back and what we remember about him is the faith and the ministry aspect. And he kind of shows us both of those things in one. But that's actually everyone in the Bible. you think about it. Daniel was a government official. Um, But now we look back and look, he's a prophet, and he had all these prophetic words and things of nature. So there's something in us that wants to create divisions, that wants to put people in boxes. Maybe you felt like you were in a box. Um, But today, let it be the day that those boxes are broken down so that the kingdom of God can move easily back and forth is part of your significance too. As Tyron earlier talked, of, uh, talked about like that midlife crisis, and, and people in our church know that I've been going through midlife crisis for like 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> so she'll just call it a crisis or just crisis. You know. But part of that is it is because I don't want to be successful, I want to live a life of significance. And what I found is, is that the things that are most significant are when I see the kingdom operating. Whether it's a church and I see the kingdom operating, or it's at work and I see the kingdom operating, like those are the things that stick in my mind. Those are the things that I'm like, wow, like, it, it matters that I'm in this job. Uh-huh. There's, there's nothing, like, special about the job. But, like, it's, if you're waiting to be in a righteous job or a holy job or something like that, you're going to keep waiting for a long time. Because there's nothing about your job that's righteous or holy or anything like that, but it's the kingdom in your job that makes it significant. And, and in terms of um, disqualifying yourself, I think like, that's another big thing that we're going to kind of break down here is that, you may say, oh, I will just do this, or I will do that. You've got to remember in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, Joanna was the wife of the household manager for Herod. So this is the same King Herod that sent Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified, who um, um, killed James by the sword and tried to kill Peter. Right? Right. And so she was part of a very unholy household. Like, there was nothing Godly about it, but the Gospel talks about her, how she used her resources Help the churches to flourish and encourage them and were with them. And she um, brought them to all the nations and helped the early church. It was incredibly significant. And the Holy Spirit put that in there and reminds you also that whatever you're doing is much more holy than that, right? But it's not about what you're doing being holy or not. It's the kingdom that you bring that we And I love how Steve Barr talked about how you are the gift. You are the gift. Wherever you go, the kingdom goes with you. And so today we're, we're, um, we're going to build upon what Sheila talked about. To really emphasize that the more you use the tools of the kingdom that God has freely given you, the more you operate in the gifts that He has given you and made you to be, the more the, the, the king is glorified. Um, and so, um, the um, the, the, other, the other quick thing to, to talk about here is that there's <laughs> a bi directional part of this, right? So, this is not just to emphasize the marketplace, it's like now. I don't want the flip side of that to be like, oh, only marketplace people, those are amazing people, or whatever like that. But there's a bi-directional part of that, where we would see, um, I remember when I was, I was working in the um, in University of Illinois in Chicago, it was only about like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes from here, that when I was seeing patients and they needed prayer, I would, I would ask people from church to come, come and pray.
2: And um, Steve, or the elder, would like, help facilitate that, and we saw like,
0: miracles happen. We saw people being healed and delivered and saved in that, and were able to give them gospel stories. And we had a foothold in them, because I had a place of authority in
2: the hospital I was working in. You know? um, and, and sure, I asked for forgiveness more than permission most of the time.
0: Um, but it was OK. It, it worked out, and it was all with wisdom and with guidance. But it was an incredible bi-directional partnership of, of creating footballs footholds for the team to operate. Um, so but the first step of that that, that I found is, is really important is courage. Um, it, it takes courage. And in fact, the, the number one command of God throughout the Bible is to be strong and courageous, or fear not, or um, don't be afraid. Actually, those three those three phrases are said more than 300 times. In fact, I was reading It's like more than one time for every day of the year. Because God says that. And he says it from Genesis. He says it to Abraham. Right? And he wouldn't have said it to Abraham if Abraham was like super confident and secure. And right? He was saying because Abraham was afraid. You know, he said to Moses, like, these heroes of faith that we talk about and we live up to, they were, they were all afraid, just like you're afraid, just like I'm afraid. But he he God doesn't ask us to be afraid, he actually commands us. He says, fear not. And he says, be strong and courageous. Mm-hmm. And he's he's commanding us to do that. But he's not asking us to do that by you know convincing ourselves or tricking ourselves or trying to make ourselves anything that we're not, but actually in depending upon Jesus, that if he is the foundation of what we're doing, that's where our courage comes from. That's where our strength comes from. That we glorify Jesus and we behold him and we focus our eyes to him, which Bill talked about, not just for his benefit, but for our benefit. Because that's where our strength comes from. Because if it was based on how smart I am, or uh, whatever I am, or whatever it does, I would feel miserable. And if you're anything like me, your weaknesses are always before you. You see that all the time. And so if you're trying to base your courage on yourself, then if you're going to be afraid. Your fear will have a hold over you. Um, and so we actually need to look to Jesus for our fear. And just like I said from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the, the second key reason uh, to not be afraid is because it's, it, God really does not like it. She <laughs> says it so many times. Because he does not want afraid. In fact, in Revelation 21, um, verse 8, he, he lists a, a, a list of things that people will be in the, the second death, right? He's like the idolaters, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, all of these people that are going to face the second death, you know, the lake of fire. But the first thing he says is to the cowardly.
2: So, all of those things we know, practicing witchcraft, obviously, being the doctor is obviously wrong. Is wrong. All of those things, murdering, obviously, wrong. The liars, everything. But the
0: first people he says is the cowardly. Because the cowardly don't have faith in Jesus. Jesus isn't their foundation, isn't their strength. So, that's the foundation of what we're talking about, and we're going to build on that. And a practical way that we see this manifest is if the gifts sort are of used with fear, it'll go the wrong way. And in First Kings twenty-two, we see four hundred. So King Ahab is, is there and he's about to go to uh, war, and he's he wants to take this town that he thinks is, is his. And King Jehoshaphat comes with him. He says, "But before we go, King Jehoshaphat says, let's inquire of the prophets because we want to make sure God is for us." And they go to four hundred prophets and they say, "Is God is God for us?" And all four hundred of them are like, "Surely the Lord will deliver you victory and all of those things and He's for you and great." But King Jehoshaphat was a more godly king than King Ahab. King Ahab was the like, greatest governor. King Ahab, most that is like, you know, something's wrong here. Is there any other prophet we can ask? And King Ahab says, oh, there's one other, but he never prophesies good for me. <laughs> never, ever prophesies anything good for me. So I don't even want to ask him. King Joseph is like, can you just like bring him along? Like, I really want to hear what he has to say. Now, the background of this, you're like, why are 400 prophets prophesying this good? Well, King Ahab, being just a time, killed all of the other prophets of the Lord. And <laughs> they're running for their lives, hiding in caves to survive this time. So fear could be a key driver of why they have this long skirt. But the comes forward, and he, um, he isn't afraid. And he knows that he may be killed or anything of that nature. But he says, the Lord is you. If you're going to go into battle, you're not going to come back alive from that. And what does King have do? He throws him in, into the pit, into prison, and all of those things. And he does, he acts cruelly to him. But we remember about him, and the reason he's in the Gospels is because he obeyed the Lord. Because he's a kid he who's courageous enough to just say what God was telling him to say, whatever it was. And that was his glory. In Acts 18, God speaking to Paul, says, do not be afraid, which means Paul was afraid. And he says that he was anxious. Paul, in the other Gospels, says he was anxious. He says, no one is going to attack you or harm you, for I have many people in the city. You are part of the many in whatever city you're a part of. The city or anywhere on the world. We are all together a household of faith. And God is trying to work in and through you, and you just have to allow yourself to use used. A practical testimony of how this uh, played out was there was a, a church in Mexico that we were partnering with. And we went on a trip there, and we, we um, heard that there was were um, the leaders of that community were completely against the church. They would dump garbage into the church, they would um, bring all these complaints to the local police, they would call the police on the church. They took bulldozers and actually blocked the the church so no one could
2: come in to the church. And they were like front this whole time, and they were just making life so difficult for Philly couple, I mean, and Clarissa.
0: And they had to decide: well, we're gonna welcome these people from Chicago <laughs> to this church, and from California, and from other places, to do a medical mission trip. We're not. And they were like, we're praying about it, are like, we're gonna do it. Despite the opposition, we're gonna do it. So we went over there and we didn't know anything about the spirit. This is a shit. like a simple country doctor coming there and like, you know, putting bad ears on people and uh, not much to offer. And there was this lady who came in who like had a lot of knee pain, her diabetes was way out of control and all this thing. And I had brought like one knee brace. Just like I just happened to have one knee brace. And I was like, oh, you can have this knee brace. And gave her something for her diabetes or whatever with that. And she looked at me and I was like, can, can I pray for you? And she was like, pray, pray for me? Um, yeah, sure. And so I prayed for her and a couple other people prayed for her, and she just kept looking at me like wide-eyed, like a deer in headlights. And then she went out of the church, brought a few people back, and was like, "Hey, you need to like go and be part of this." And I was like, "Okay, this okay, great," but like, she appreciated the neighbors, the like fifteen-dollar gift certificate. Then the, the leader of the church, Jaime um, so Flores, uh, came to us in tears, saying that the, she was the leader of that group that was pressing them. And she told the whole community that day that no, this church is good. Huh? We need to start helping helping this huh? church. And after that big time, that person joined the church wow. as one of their like evangelists into the community, and that community is filled completely to helping them instead of the hurting them. And it's a beautiful picture of what the Kingdom is. It's not marketplace or ministry. It's working together. And we saw healings and other things that were amazing. Some people going to faith, but the timing puts that step of faith that they displayed, really transformed you kind know, of experience in the church a good apostle after that. In terms of the practical gifts that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about three practical gifts. The gift of faith, the gift of wisdom or knowledge, and the gift of prophecy in, in this context, right? Because there's so many gifts here we can talk about. But I feel like these are gifts that sometimes we overlook in the marketplace. Well, like, okay, in church, I get it. But like, how does this work in the marketplace? And in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit, the Holy Spirit, for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, the other the utterance of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another works of miracles, to another prophecy. And I think when we when we think of faith, we think it's just a decision, but it's also a gift, a gift that the Holy Spirit can enable you and empower you into. And Jody spent a lot of time talking about faith and the power of faith, um, which is amazing, so I do have to do that, which saves me some time, and you see time. Um, but Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Romans 14, 23 says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Faith is essential. We don't just do things and decide things, but if we don't have faith, why are we doing it? Are we just going through the motions? And I remember the, that that CEO, Abraham, the CEO of that farming operation, you know, what was amazing about him was this faith, that he believed that God would do that's why he's remembered in that pantheon of faith that, that Jody talked about in Hebrews 11. That's what separated Joseph and uh, Joseph and Moses and Noah, all those people that are listed in Hebrews 11. It's the faith that, that set them apart. A practical like, experience of that it's because we're like, OK, yeah, we know that it worked for them,
2: but what about us? Like, How does that actually work for us? And so you're sitting in this church
0: building, so you know it's real, OK? But a few years ago, it didn't seem as real as this, because um, I serve on our finance team, and we didn't have the finances to build to, to the church in the city. In fact, other people were saying it would be foolish to, to build a church in this area because of the opposition in the city, because of the amount of money it would take, and things of that nature. And God just miraculously grew our finances to the point where we would have faith to put a down payment, not to build a whole thing, but just to have a down payment for things. And we were praying, and we really felt like God was saying, do this. It's going to be incredibly important to do this." So we took that set of faith, and we put that back in. Then COVID happened, right as we bought the building. And all of our clothes for construction went up by like $400,000. You know, I remember the finance came to a few of us sitting in my basement at the time. And um, as soon as they said that, I was like, my first response was, we need to sell the church. <laughs> we need to sell the church. We cannot go through this. We're not going to take people's money that they, they gave generously. and then." Like, you know, be that foolish builder in the Bible where we half build a place it and then it's sitting there. And it's like, what, the, what, do, what do the foolish builders do? Right? And so that was our first reaction. And we were hanging our heads and in shame and laughing in faith. And then we said, well, how about we just pray? And as we prayed, we felt something stirring in our hearts. We were like, you know, about 20 minutes into prayer, we were like, hey, maybe, maybe God will somehow. Provide for us or help us in this. Like, that was the first, like, the most clear example that I felt the gift of faith was something, because I had zero faith. All of a sudden, something was brewing, and we were like, let's at least consider this. By the end of the meeting, I remember I was walking out, and Steve was walking out with me, and our heads were just hanging just a little bit more, and we, we were not prepared, we were like And as I was walking out, I felt the Spirit just give me the gift of faith. Like, the clearest sign that I had the gift of faith that I've ever experienced in my life and I knew that God was going to do it. I knew it; no one could convince me out of it and that's one of the signs of the gift of faith is that you just know that you know that nothing had changed. The situations were completely the same but everything is different. I knew that God was going to do it and then we saw miracle after miracle after miracle. zoning so things changed. People for us all like, oh, these crazy things happened Hundreds of thousands of followers coming, not just from our parishioners, but from outside of the church, from all sorts of different ways, like things we couldn't have explained. And what I remember, whenever I lived at the church, I don't remember some building fund or something like that. I remember that God was for us, and that God gave us everything we needed, including the faith, to do this. Okay. Then, um, the last couple things are um, wisdom. Um, obviously, we see Daniel with the gift of wisdom, Joseph with wisdom, and governmental positions, and... and um, and how dramatically God used them to save a nation, to save Daniel to save a people um, with courage, Joseph to save the whole country of Egypt and all of God's people at that time as well. Um, what could God do with your gift of wisdom? Wisdom is not just like knowing the right answer, it's seeing all of the maybe the data or the, the fancy book learning that you all have done. But actually knowing that this is the way, this is the path. And providing that to uh, a world that's desperate for realism. Not the wisdom of the world that accomplishes
2: nothing as the Bible says, but the wisdom that's lasting. And a practical example of that, and we're just sharing some testimonies to kind of show that this is real and this is practical, is when COVID happened. So there's a shaking, obviously, with
0: COVID. I'm in the healthcare, like we're both in the healthcare, and so like our rules are kind of rocked by this pandemic. We didn't know much about it. Obviously, we were kind of worried about okay, like what is this? Like We're seeing COVID patients and all of these kinds of things. And in the midst of all of that, in like March 2nd of 2020, uh, my company asked me to, to do this talk for COVID. I'm not an infectious specialist or whatever. We have infectious disease specialists in like, my group. They're asking me to do this stuff. They're like, no, no, Matt, we want you to do this talk, okay? I was on the phone, and I didn't know who was on the other end of that phone, but I knew it was, like, some important people who I I had an idea. And I was like, I I knew enough to be dangerous, right? Like, I was, like, knew enough to be really worried that I was going to screw it up. And I was like, I don't know what I'm talking about here. So I was like, the morning of, I'm like praying, oh my god. I'm like reading all these news articles from like Wuhan, China, and kind of like things out. Like I look like like I have a beautiful mind. I right? have like thoughts like, all around a like, screen, going from here and there, kind of piece things together. And everyone makes them crazy because they're like, Natalie, are you okay? Can you get some sleep or right? whatever? And that morning, I was like I, I I did all my research and I have the content to offer because it's like one source will say this and another source will say It's all so in And just clear as day, I just came to him. And he um, he said three things to me. Seriously, I felt like I felt to said that this is a worldwide pandemic, which it hadn't been declared at that time of the World Health Organization, that there will be a travel ban from, from America, it'll be declared, and that the mortality rate is not 3 to 4%, it's 0.3 to 0.4%. Which is super controversial at that time. So I'm on this call and I share those three things, and people are like, okay, okay. okay. Um, and then that evening, the World Health Organization declares a global pandemic. Four days later, President Trump at the time declared as a travel ban. And then everyone's was like, Can you come back next week and talk? me? You know? And they were like, Still like, but I don't know about this mortality rate. Well, three months later, the mortality rate was going 3.4%. And as people saw that, they were like, What is this? But the people on the call were former governors, United States governors, um, professional owners of professional sports teams, um, other like influential people. But I was able to witness. It. So then, when they came to me, they're like, "Well, hey, now, how did you know those things?" And I shared. And I had to have courage to share. It was because it's my faith. Like I prayed about it, and God gave me that. And they all looked at me askew. They were like, "All right, man, like, <laughs> it's a little weird. It's a little weird." But we we still want to talk to you because, like, you know, you seem genuine. You know, but, the, but, um, but God God created that opportunity to witness to them even that time. And then finally, is, is the prophetic. And um, Chanel and Ken talk beautifully and wonderfully about the prophetic and how uh, it brings the presence of God into areas. And would you, wouldn't you want that in your workplace? the presence of God? And sometimes it's as simple as just asking, God, what would you have in this situation? What would you do in this situation? What would you want in this situation? And I remember um, there were times when I see patients, and I'll just, sometimes I'll just remember, like, God, do you have something for this patient? And then I'll, I'll share something with them they start like crying, and they're like, it's like you just know this part of me, or this kind of, this kind of thing, and you'll, you'll ask them, like, can I pray for you? And they'll say, yeah, and we pray together, and those are the significant times that, like, I remember, and you can feel the presence of God there, and it's not that like I, put, I made two and two together and four, but it had a real impact on someone's life, and it always was pointing back to Jesus, and that's the key thing of the prophetic, is in Revelations nineteen ten. Um, John the Apostle, um, right, so spent time with Jesus, was a prophet, uh, led the prophets at that time. And he saw an angel of the Lord bow down before the angel of the Lord and started worshiping. And the angel of the Lord was like, What are you doing? (laughs) I have a fellow servant with you. And he's like, You know, we're, you know, do not worship me. And he said, The the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the angel had to remind John that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So even as you share prophetic words with people, you always bring it back to Jesus, the kingdom. Um, it doesn't have to be the big the first time, but as you're developing that relationship to share, it so the kingdom expands. Um, with that, I think we should um, um, open up to questions of this final point: is, is that make sure you wrap all of this up with humility. That the gifts are powerful, and people will always return to a pedestal. Right? If you don't take yourself off a pedestal, like, you will find yourself off and it's always easier to just take yourself off the pedestal. Like, I'm not actually the pedestal, but you know, I would rather that, that something happened and takes you off the, off the pedestal, right? Because the glory should always go God. But the thing is when people see power and gift, they'll be like, wow, you're so smart. How did you know that Does you know that and if you don't give the glory to where
2: it is, you're stealing God's thunder? You're stealing the gift he's using, you're using for yourself instead of for God. And that's that's not honoring it. it's not helpful for you definitely not a to take on.
0: Okay, But those gifts are there to be used. So with these last, like, I think we have 15 minutes or so, okay, is, um, we, we can answer all the questions and answers and we can make it a manager. Um, okay. Or testimonies. So if you don't have any questions, you can actually go test me. gifts. Friend, but then also how does it how fit with the work-life balance? I think what we found is, so you know, we're both working and have three kids and are serving the church um, in ministry capacity, and it's uh, exhausting. Um, but um, yeah, I think one of the things that oh, I actually will this too, but one of the things that's really helpful is like, when we see um, the kingdom at work, it's life-giving. Like, but when I, when I haven't, and I haven't always, like I haven't was great for patients, it's like a more recent thing over these last few years. And I find that that's incredibly life-giving. And I'll have patients who pray for me and they'll say like hey can I pray for you for something. And I just see the kingdom impact of that. And they're like, I'm putting you on my prayer list and I'm gonna be praying for you now. And if I'd never brought it up, like they would have never been praying for me too. And I realize, like wow oh, this is as much work, more kingdom than anything else I'm doing. And I start seeing that that's what Paul saw right he saw the kingdom. But the second thing that's really been helpful for me is the revelation of the Sabbath. Is the Sabbath not just for rest
2: although that's great and wonderful, but also a revelation of that I actually need God. Mm-hmm. That seven
0: days of my effort is not more than six days plus one day of okay. practically, prophetically showing God that I can't, but He can And just that understanding has just dramatically transformed my understanding of work, and that it's not like by doing, outworking everybody at work, because that's not where, do, where my success comes from. But God will give insight and, and show me, and, He'll keep guiding you in some kind of nature. So it's not about outworking everyone. That's what the world is saying: is you have to outwork everybody. That's the way to do it. But as you're operating the gifts, as you follow the presence of God, God will give favor and
1: help with that. Um, She'll anything Yeah, I think um, the one thing that I always to remind myself of is that we run the race marked out for us, yeah. not for someone else, and it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I'm the personality of I want to do everything now, and I want to do all at the same time and then it's like a sprint. And when a sprint is no longer a season, but your life, that's what needs to go around. You can't, sit. there are going to be busy seasons in our lives and we all have them. And there are going to be times we maybe need to pull back from things because it's a busy season at work. But I would encourage you, don't pull back and then communicate. Communicate with the people who are part of your ministry. Tell them, so that A, they can be praying for you, but B, there can be an understanding of my heart is with you, but physically, we need a little bit of a break from X, Y, or Z, but we're still there. And, And make sure that it's a season, and it's not a life. And also, I think Matt helps him with this. I have a tendency to say yes to everything, because I like to keep busy, but what he reminds me of is that when you say yes to something, you automatically say no to something else. So, and that no is not a no that you're saying out of considering it. It's an automatic no because you just don't have time because you have said yes to X, Y, and Z. So, you don't have to do everything and be everything to everyone because no one can do that. It's okay to let other people do things and for you to take a step back in certain areas and to understand your capacity. Um, sometimes we need pushes in our capacity, where it's, it's not really us not working to our capacity it's just like we'd rather not. And I think we have those checks in our hearts where it's something that you'd rather not, but you actually have the capacity to do, or you have that sense of, but no, I'm really, I'm running at max capacity and I can't take on that next thing. So there's wisdom in there, and honestly the Sabbath has been like a game changer for us because we are super busy, we are always running from one thing to another, but Everyone needs a break. And I know in the US, vacation almost seems like a square word because no one takes all their vacation. And, and you know, there are going to be times where, yes, you use your vacation, like we're on vacation this week and we're here because we, we feel the significance of what God is doing here. Because it's something that we need and there's a whole lot. But there are times when we take Sundays off of the church. And again, in communication with the team, and Steve has been very open-handed, as he leads our team, being like, "Hey, marketplace people and marketplace it, take off one Sunday every four months or whatever it is, you know." So you gotta find sustainable rhythms to help you run the race of endurance and not a script. That's all. Any other questions? Great, great
0: question. Yes.
2: Success. Oh, just Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a oh sure. okay. yeah. since, there's, since there's no question, yeah. I know I had the
0: blessing like five or six years ago of being able to change jobs and basically a, a assistant principal in a homeschool charter school. So I work with, and I have families that I teach.
2: So I'm a teacher and a vice principal with like 15 teachers. I had the blessing of changing from one school to another
0: school. And at that point in time, I said, Lord, I really want to dedicate the new season, the new job to you. And I, in prayer, I said, so tell me, God, like, I really want to seek this. It's got to be a complicated answer. How, how do you want me to lead? And, and I started laughing because he showed me the passage about if you want to be a leader, then be a servant. And it was just, it was like a lightning bolt moment. And it was so simplistic that I almost dismissed it. And the practical application, which just turned out to be life-altering, was to start with my Google signature on my, uh, my email. And all I did was put here to surf, and my and information. And a year and a half later, I was doing an evaluation of one of my teachers at the end of you know about her year. And I give them an opportunity for feedback. And one of the things that she said that brought me to tears was, you have shown us what it means to be a leader in your tagline. And I, I never mentioned the tagline. anyone. It, it was just there. And in fact, with Google, it adds automatically. So you don't even think about it. You just press send and it shows up. So you don't even see the fact that you just sent it. So it was just, if, you, if you're looking for a place to start, like, it's a really practical, simple place to start. And, be, and because I realized, like, almost every day that that's my tagline, I better rip it. What does it mean to serve? And it's constantly on my mind, so. I just you. Anyone else? Any questions? Everyone has it all figured out. <laughs>
1: The above, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll imagine too, but like it, it really came to a point where we were just burning out because we were just um, not prioritizing family time as protected time. And so every few moments we were meeting with people or going to a meeting or meeting with work people or whatever. And it just it became a point where, and it's always like this where when you're burning out, you take it out on the people closest to you. So I became a mom monster. Who basically just read at the children from the moment they woke up to the moment they went to bed because they weren't doing exactly what I wanted at the exact moment that they wanted. Because we had no margin. We realized we had zero margin in our lives for anything to change. And who knows that life life doesn't work on schedule at the same time, that's a good thing. So you've got to have built-in margin. So it started in that place. And I think um, just in terms of box there's any more like read, I've just um, I like, read a couple of things that were helpful in reminding us again that, that um, man was made, God was made for seven, man was made, for, but, sorry, man was made for seven, but it's the principle of God to remind us that we can run and run like hamsters on the wheel until kingdom come, but God's way is always going to be better than our way, and taking time to acknowledge that by actually stopping what we're doing, to acknowledge that he is in control, and that, that added day of doing more stuff isn't going to get me any further, um, was just a good reminder of that. Yeah, it's like you know, I think in times of prayer too, it just was a revelation that the
0: Sabbath is created for us, like it's not before God, and it just kind of really worked for my mind because I before I kind of looked at it as something legalistic because I think there are some churches that do use a legalistic thing. So I had this aversion to it, and I think once that developed for me, I was like, Wait, I need this. What am I doing? And then as as I like just started living it, on, I'm like, Oh, this is a great idea. Like, <laughs> this, like this go, You know, but it's just it's just weird how any words to kind sort of distort certain things.
1: I was say like, don't be prescriptive about the Sabbath looks like. like. for us, we call it family, and we just basically hang out with the kids and like play games. It it's just a time that we don't meet with other people or do other social obligations or. They don't,
0: yeah, there's a question. I'm sure a lot of this has to do with the individual situation working out with Jesus. But if you could speak some to the
2: tension between, like, you guys have kids.
0: Of that balance between um, working and redefining inheritance as um, versus prioritizing the kingdom of God I just realized that like, money can only do so much. And it's pretty limited in terms of what it can actually do. Um, that the kingdom is actually what's really lasting. And finances are great and all of those things. That God, bless you got will see with the finances. Like it's not like bad to
2: ask for finances. In fact, like God broke a spur poverty over me where I would like always not ask for money.
0: And then I had two dreams where God was like, you know, if you want more money, just ask. And he said that three times to me. And in the dream I'm like, oh, God, I got the time. I'll do that for you. It's okay, I'll just do replies or and things like that. And the first time I had that dream, like nothing happened. And I was like,
2: huh, no, let's go back to how it was before. And then I had the exact same dream like, three months later. And then I realized it's like I woke up and I repented for that. And I was like, yes, Lord, ask. I ask for whatever you're trying to give me. And I realized that God was trying to bless me. And I was like, the one being like, no, no, I'm not blessing. I'm blessing. <laughs> I don't want to bless you. I want to bless Within a month, I was promoted
0: at work and got an increase in salary and all these different things happened. But then it changed my transformed my mind because then I realized that just like that, the finance came from the kingdom, it was for the kingdom. You know? Because otherwise, it would have just been like, okay, I'm making money and here you go, God, I'm
2: giving this to you. for you. But. Just like the revelation that um, David
0: had in, in I think it was Second Samuel, where he said, All that I have comes from God. And how did you bless me so that I can give for the your temple? You know, but, but if that's really gonna be a revelation, then you need to actually have that revelation. Like God all everything we have comes from God. And paid to be blessed, and, but like don't think then that your efforts are in leaves that blessing. Right? Is a, I I've noticed at work, I'm working less hours in getting more favor at that, like, and, and God had to break that mindset, mm-hmm. and he's still continuing to work on that with me, you know, and, and so, um, it, it's not a linear thing, like, I do more and I get more blessing, because then, where's God that? Um, but, and, and then the second part of your question is that, I've noticed that, as we've been living more the Sabbath, and understanding my favor, it's been, like, a scramble goodness for the kids, where then they start seeing that, they catch it, like, more is caught than taught, is a phrase that we've heard from. And instead of just teaching your kids how to do this, how to do that, and this, they're like actually watching you. <laughs> you know? So as they see you living something out, they actually pick that up and will we'll do that thing. So that's what we want, and that's why I'm, I get so frustrated with my son sometimes, because he reminds me of the failing, struggling, <laughs> <laughs> and then she'll do her And then I know I think we want to honor the time. But maybe if there's another question or two. Yes, Jessica? there's like moments of transition or potential transition specifically in you know faith or work there's that season of discernment uh, that we hear so much about like be discerning look for uh, people to speak into your life those types of things but have you found that there are specific scriptures or all that like good mantras that you feel the lord is um you have seen them be hopeful when folks are in seasons of discernment that can help ground them to continue returning to um, to the lord as they are in that season because it can be hard to continue returning to the well
1: during moments of discernment the one scripture that always comes to mind is the one that says the kingdom of god and i think if we put that as the filter through which we descend.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, I think another kind of example is that that's also how the early church was structured, is that when you see um, Peter was kind of wrong in like, putting Jewish customs and things of that nature, and it needed to be that fellowship of Paul polity and said, like, no, you're wrong. It's like, there's no, there's no difference. Or in um, Acts 11, Verse twenty-eight, where Agabus comes in and he prophesies uh, a great famine coming, and the church like, pray into it, and they hear God, and they agree, and then
2: they all give towards the church of Judea, and they position themselves for that like famine, and then when the famine came, the church grew like wildfire through through that, and people came because they everyone was willing to help them in that time,
0: and they were positioned to do that, and so in times of transition, that's where you see the different gifts, like prophetic gifts, words of wisdom, things like that. Not everyone has all those gifts. I and mean, as a community, we see even, even Paul the apostle and Peter the apostle, right? So meeting the same kind of things. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not above that, right? Like, we need that. And um, I think kind of the final point is, is that, like, as much as this like, can be like, like, here are a few tools or practical steps that you can take, is that if, like, we saw one shaping happening with COVID, right? That, like, the Bible does tells us other shapings will happen, right? And that came across, like, in um, Tyron's talk that first day, like, is there a famine coming? Um, Shannon will about that. Prophetic time and pain and shaking is coming. You know, not to be like prophets of doom or but that's to make sure it's global. like, shaking is going to happen. But instead of shying, like, away, first tendency is to shy away from that. Be like, ooh, I don't like shaking. I don't mean, know be comfortable, I don't know
2: blessing, things like that. But actually, God works incredibly through times of
0: shape. In Genesis 26, Isaac um, was blessed during a time of, of famine is that he was a sojourner, so basically an entrepreneur, into a distant land. He came to the land and said, just as I blessed Abraham, your father, during a time of famine, I will bless you during a time of famine. And he was planted in famine and dropped. And everyone was like, you're, you're a fool to do this. Like, what are you doing? And then he had a hundredfold return. And then everywhere he dug, dug wells, he hit water. No one was good. And then people would steal his wells,
2: like his neighbors would steal the wells.
0: But they were blessed through that. And finally, he did what but- it. <laughs> give thanks to the Lord. And you just see that there's overflowing and a blessing, even of your neighbors, even of people who aren't followers of Jesus, even of the nation that you're a part of, right? That you are the blessing and you are the gift. Just allow yourself to do that. And I feel like the world needs that, um, especially in the coming times. So uh, thank you for for being here for this time. um, And we'll be available for some questions on